back to another episode of the Belonging Brand Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this important conversation. Today, we're speaking with two members of the Grassroots Collective BSUN or Brantford Substance Users Network. I'm so glad that you both found time to join us. Can you maybe start by introducing yourselves and how you got involved in the organization? I am Randy Roberts. I am actually the founder of BSUN, Brantford Substance Users Network. And um, it was in direct result of the overdose crisis that we're experiencing, uh, not just in Brantford, but throughout the nation. And Deborah? Uh, hi, I'm Deborah, I'm a member of the BSUN. I become a member from attending the Brantford Drug Strategy meetings, uh, the people with lived experience, and we just formed out of that. and. I had experienced uh, many um, different situations in my my um, time, short time here, and uh, I want to give back to the community some sense of of my learning on my way through to help out. So, in your own words, how would you like to describe Be Sun for our listeners? You can go ahead, Deborah, first if you want. BSUN is an inclusion group that anybody can join to be a part of a community where there's no judgment, where you are who you are. Nobody's asking you to change. Nobody wants you to change. But we're there to support other users. And I've heard a lot of people that want to volunteer too. So we're giving back to the community. Great, Randy? So BSUN is a um, a volunteer peer-led organization um, whose goal is to educate and to try to combat the overdose crisis that's been happening um, since 2016. um, Almost 22,000 Canadians have overdose fatally, uh, 100, over 140 here in Brantford since um, they started keeping track in 2017. So we, um, uh, BSUN has evolved. We do outreach as well. We offer a needle exchange um, along with giving out naloxone. Um, from that, we've evolved to also supplying some food for some people that come the main thing, though, is we offer support, right? And a year and um, naloxone, uh, which is so important, we've been able to give a lot of that out and save a lot of lives so far. Great. And I mean, for listeners that aren't aware, do you want to just quickly explain what naloxone is? So naloxone is the uh, antidote to opiates. Uh, if somebody is experiencing overdose, the naloxone will bring them back um, hopefully. Great. Thank you. So I'd like to hear a little bit about how and when and why BSUN started. Can you guys give us a little bit of that history? I think it was 2018. I, I, I attended a meeting over at the library, of course, free food. <laughs> so I attended and it was to gather ideas, thoughts, as to the crisis, to as a way to tackle the, the opiate crisis, and 
to come together with collected minds. As Deborah had mentioned, we belong to the drug strategy as well as a um, advisory committee. Uh, and we felt that we could, you know, do better than just try to advise some things. There's a lot of things that happen um, that needs to be happened that doesn't happen. We've also noticed that throughout history, it's usually the people who use drugs or have used drugs uh, are the ones that initiate change uh, around anything to do with addictions. So we usually um, are the first ones to come in and start saving our, our, our friends and peers. It started out west in Vancouver, where harm reduction uh, is kind of like um, the born there. Um, and, and we've been able to bring it here to Brantford, which has been lacking. It's about a decade behind. Uh, we don't even have a needle exchange, no safe supply. We've been on a committee to try to get a needle exchange for two years, and it's been so hard trying to get landlords to lease a place and stuff like that and get support behind from the city as well. I guess it's kind of difficult when when we need that strong arm behind us to support us and and also to provide encouragement too, right? There's so, so many times that you know you feel like ah oh, just to give up, but you know you turn and you look at you know your neighbor, your your fellow friend beside you, and that is the reason why you don't give up. Is because your friends, your neighbors, and our community, our community needs to be boosted up. Thank you. That's, that's a really beautiful sentiment. Maybe let's talk a little bit about the overdose crisis in Brantford. Uh, anyone kind of being, I think, willfully ignorant can walk down the streets and see, and see the scope of the issue, but Sun probably understands it better than anyone else. What can you tell us about what is happening and how hard this epidemic is hitting people? It's, like I say, it's right across the country, but people, local people in Brantford think it's just happening here. They see unprecedented number of homelessness in the last three years, unprecedented number of deaths and over, overdoses, uh, and drug use as well. I've never seen so many um, new drug users in Brantford before. I'm not sure why that is. But this fentanyl is is very powerful drug. It, it grabs you and it's not, if you will overdose, it's, it's usually when, right? It's a huge scope. I give out naloxone with every kit. And um, I did a kind of a, a survey between of, of 20 people that come to and get supplies. And I asked them, um, have you had to use the naloxone or somebody used the kit that I gave you the naloxone? And 18 people said, yes, they've had to use it on somebody. And several of them had to use it several times. So right there, that's over 18 people's lives saved, right? Getting that message out there, the stigma is, is the number one, which is causing the lack of support that we receive. It's record high in the amount of people that are just tired and they're taking it out on people who use drugs, and it's the easy fix, right? Just let's go attack the most vulnerable. Downtown Business Association are having a rough time because it's all congregated town town, and I have so much empathy for the businesses down there. However, population has to take a look at who's responsible, and that's society itself for, not, uh, for allowing our governments 
no matter which party was in, to be um, not spending on mental health and addictions and transferring that money to other programs. And this is the direct result of that. So it's time to play catch up and, and get our government back on spending. Um, jail's not the answer. That's what the population wants, but that's not the answer. That's just puts us back out on the streets. And I think that also was a record number of people is because jails had to empty out because of COVID. And this is, we're seeing a lot of people that was um, sentenced when they should have been getting, you know, addiction is a, um, a health issue, not a, a judicial issue, right? And it's time we look at that. And the government is starting to look at that. They, they are looking at decriminalization of drugs. Another solution would be um, a safe supply where people, um, and <laughs> this would solve so many issues as well. So if you give people who are addicted a safe supply, instead of having to go to the streets, they could be giving um, hydromorphine or pharmaceutical heroin under a doctor's prescription and advice. This way they're not taking fentanyl, which you never know what's fentanyl, the power, what's in it and everything. And that's why we have so many deaths. That would be covered under the old WODSP. Uh, they did a study in Sweden um, in 98. They did the exact same thing. And within three months, the crime rates dro are dropped by 80%. So not only are you saving lives, but you're dropping the crime rate which means less police, less judges, less jails, more money to spend on providing treatment for mental health and addictions, also providing money for homeless. People going that use drugs are going to the doctors, so their health is getting better because a lot of us don't go to the doctors because of the stigma. Uh, we just don't, you know, but uh, once the doctors are trained, uh, and then you're able to put money into um, preventive, which is trying to reach the children that are in crisis that are going through whatever they are, that, you know, addiction is a lot of trauma based from a lot of our childhood. Yeah. So if we can catch that and support the children and the family, they won't need to turn to drugs later on in life, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, coping strategies. I also would like to say to keep the balance, right, with the spiritual, mental emotional, physical. We need to get physical uh, drumming and dancing, you know, the activity, you feel that energy going up inside you, the movements. We're, we're laying back too much, just that a movement um, in different areas, right? And the connecting with nature, right? To, to have that sunshine on you. It's that energy. You can get that energy from, from that. And the air that we breathe, the trees, how, how much we are so similar. Our bodies are so much of, of the trees and that we're grounded. We're, if we have good grounded roots, you know, and then we are supported by everybody else around us. And that's what we need. Education of drug use, education of mental I researched on... Uh, schizophrenia and I did a simulation on on YouTube and it blows my mind but to see it from the other side you don't know so I think education is key too that's great thank you I mean all of those sound like really amazing projects that I know 
I have read and and seen work in, in other places, but tell me maybe a bit about some of the hurdles and opposition that you've encountered during your work in Brantford. Uh, I've definitely heard that your project is not always a welcome one. Part of the issue, like I say, um, is the stigma. People, a lot of people can't understand because, you know, they, they're able to sit down and have a beer, say, and get up and go home after work, where maybe Sally is still at the bar till 12 at night because Sally had a beer and just couldn't stop. So a lot of us um, can't relate to where, you know, it doesn't become a choice. So to a lot of people, it's a choice and that we should be able to stop it. What they don't realize that it stops becoming a choice. The brain, there's been all kinds of studies on the brain where it shows that um, it, it changes and becomes as much of a choice as breathing, right, for people. So getting that stigma out, once people realize that it is a medical issue and the, that there is hope as well, too, as long as we get that treatment. We have that. We also have our city council who is also not helping as well. They are filled with stigma. Last summer, they tried to stop the needle exchanges because of some some was and some weren't needles that were discarded on the on the um, throughout the community but we find you know through education and that's another thing um Bison, we we've been proud of doing is that educating our peers as well that although they're mad at society because society calls them junkies and everything we have to be above that we have to not throw our needles on the ground we have to remember the children right you know, forget the adults, right? It's all about the children. And um, we've been able to bring the numbers up since we started in 2018 from, I think the health unit at one time was at about 30, 40%. And uh, as of last January, 80% return rates. Um, Just by us talking to our peers, uh, it's contact as soon as they come get supplies. I ask them to bring, bring back theirs and I tell them why and some of the good things that's happening because of that. So it's a community and we, um, like Deborah says, being connected with each other. Uh, we're kind of unique here in Brantford. I think our population between settlers and um, indigenous is probably um, right now at its peak, probably 70% indigenous right now, where it used to be the opposite. That could be for several reasons, right? Maybe a lot of the reasons could be of the overdoses, death. I know it used to be my population, which is 45 to 55, we were the ones that were dying the most at the beginning, up until just recently, it's gone down to the use. I think that's because most people my age, we used alone, where the use we're using with in a community like used to, they, they you know, stick together. So there was nobody to save us. So our, my population of people, um, there's less of right now because of the deaths where now it's the use that are, are going. And, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating when city council sits there and says, you know, every child matters, but they forget the, the children that are in street overdosing, right? And the trauma they've experienced. What are they to help that? You know, they put up a fence to keep people out because they assumed that we would not respect a memorial, right? That really hurt us, right? Um, mm-hmm. To think that we would be doing that. And that's the kind of stigma that the city council has to, you know, 
stop. They have to realize what they're doing is wrong and they're perpetuating the stigma instead of helping to curb it, right? Uh, so that's, that's one of the biggest challenges we have. Uh, we do have the drug strategy where the uh, organizations all get together. We have a stigma campaign that's coming up, so it's very exciting about that. Uh, it's, a, it's a year long, maybe even longer. Uh, these small little stigma ones campaigns for a day or for a week never work, right? So uh, it was B-Sun that it initiated. It's got to be ongoing, like the mental health ones, you know, um, uh, they were always ongoing. They still are. And, and awareness got out, right? So we, we're taking it to the schools. We're taking it to the businesses. We're taking it to the police about stigma. Uh, we're, we're, the ER with all kinds of, um, hopefully, stigma little modules for each organization. Because we have a lot of stigma as well going to the hospital. A lot of people who multiple overdose um, after one or two refuse to go back to the hospital because of the stigma. They hear these, these comments, right? Um, you know, uh, shouldn't we stop after once bringing them back, right? This is our tax dollars. Um, and, and it's really disgusting, especially coming from some healthcare workers, right? And again, I realize uh, I want to swift some of that blame to COVID. But, you know, we are adults. We should be um, you know, more mindful. So there's there's a whole lot of things that stop in these deaths, they're on the rise instead of being, you know, we saw what the government can do um, with COVID on an epidemic. Our overdoses in city uh, deaths are higher than the death rates of COVID. But we don't get the same response from the government. The provincial government don't even recognize it as a epidemic. And, and that's a problem with dealing with the conservative ones. They put limits on who can have a safe consumption site. 21 out of a whole province, which tells me that um, they're picking and choosing what city lives, right? Their population. It's, it's disgusting the way people with a illness are treated nowadays. So we're hopeful that the stigma campaign will, will be able to educate some people and we can start getting some support and starting saving the rest of the lives that are left. Um, I'm not sure how many is left, but they deserve to live. Yeah. I wanted to draw attention to something that you said, uh, just to, to clarify for folks that the fence that you're talking about in downtown park was a fence that was erected around Victoria Park, right? Yeah. And that was done shortly after the bodies of the 215 Indigenous children were first found at the Kamloops Residential School. The city decided to light up the Joseph Grant statue with orange lights and turn it into a memorial garden. However, what they did was also put up a nine foot fence and put security guards at the entranceway of, of a park that is one of the most used and enjoyed parks from people downtown, especially folks who are unhoused. Um, there's like a very prominent like food serve that happens right across from that park. People used to eat in that park and we're no longer allowed to do that. As an Indigenous woman, I actually found that very offensive, <laughs> and I thought it was a, a really dirty move on behalf of the city. But I wanted to say, like, I was really glad when I went to arrange this interview that I, I heard from Bison that you always try to do these kinds of media with one settler, one Indigenous representative. I want to ask, maybe I'll turn this to Deborah, is like, how has this Indigenous solidarity been a, an important part of the Bison project? It's been very important uh, um, 
for me because the majority of our, what is it, 35% of our population of the homelessness is um, Indigenous. And I also represent the, the Indigenous on the Community Advisory Board on Homelessness. So with the BSON too, it all goes together hand in hand and just trying to link. There's there's pieces missing, I, but I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it is the government. And maybe I feel that the government is just, well, Brantford, just going to switch it to do what they want to do. Being ignored is not going to fit it. As being Indigenous, I appreciate having the contact with the people and to be able to provide them with uh, sage or, you know, just a, a, a token, you know, and to remind them that they're not alone, that there's trees and, you know, the birds will sing to you. And just to have that peace, if just for one day, right? And to share peace, that's we're, we're, we're all about. <laughs> and uh, respect and hopefully it will rub off to others to have respect and consideration for for the people that are on the street and for the people that are in house too for everybody like we we're a community so we want to call ourselves a community we need to act like a community and be there without scrutinizing each other mm-hmm. I think that's a great moment for me to kind of switch gears a little bit and and talk about some of the themes related to the project I, I'm here representing, which is Belonging Brand. So the project I work for is a grant-funded undertaking. It's attempting to kind of address loneliness in the wider community by attempting to foster like a feeling of belonging and asking people what that really means to them. And the approach is underlined by Asset-Based Community Development, or ABCD, which attempts to look uh, not only at the problems in a community, but to focus on the strengths already present there. Ideally, this looks like building some sort of grassroots autonomy from below. So a big part of my work then is trying to figure out what belonging feels like and looks like for people. I really like hearing you talk about the ways in which that like caring and the ways in which solidarity between Indigenous people and settlers, between substance users and substance users, create this kind of community. Um, So I wanted to ask a a few more questions based on that. But the first question I'd ask is, how do you experience a sense of belonging to a place or a community? It took me a while. When I was using, I felt I was included in that that community. But the community of my children wasn't there. So I knew I had to change something. So I stopped. So the community just switches and you just slide over. I went over to Aboriginal Homeless Center and over there, I still didn't feel like I belonged because I was so out of tune with my history, with the culture. It took me a long time. And I don't even know if I really do feel like a community right now because there's so much hatred out there amongst each other in swearing. My dog does not like swearing. It needs to be a, a better feeling. And I say sacred fire smudging. Thanks, Deborah. What about you, Randy? I'd like to bring it right down to, to just, you know, 
people would live their lived experience uh, of Bison. Bison is, is sort of unique, whereas mm-hmm. we're a group of people that have used and are still using. Where um, we are, even in our own uh, group, um, kind of segregated at times where when people go into recovery, they told, they're told to, you got to change people, places and things. And you start going to these 12 step meetings and, and that's your new friends now. And, um, you know, the people that are still not there yet are left behind and they're hurt because their friends walk by them. And I'm sure their friends walk by them are hurt as well where B-Sun has opened it for everybody under the goal of saving lives, right? So with that goal, we are united, right? We have people that go to these 12-step groups. We have people that have been abstinence without those. And we have people that still use drugs together uh, and we're working together, right? And that aspect is pushed out of um, not belonging. So we're a community, right? It's all harm reduction, right? So when we are approaching our peers, if there's someone new, we never talk recovery. It's always what they want. And the connections are just magical at times. I I was out with Deborah one day, I think on a Sunday, her and I were doing some outreach and we came up on a a couple um, that we sat down and talked with them. And the girl, she just connected with Deborah and the tears started flying and then her and Deborah just went aside and the connection they made instantly was just, that's what it's about, right? Yeah. Peers getting together and they just saw it in each other's eyes, right? That that was the time. And I think she's doing pretty well still. Um, this was last year and Deborah was telling me yesterday that the girl's doing very well. It's, community is working together for, for a goal trying to be with each other, right? And trying to find, you know, the positive things in life, right? Another thing with B-Sun is that everybody that comes for service, they want to join, right? Because it's connection, right? So we have a lot of the members that are on health right now. They can be as active or inactive. And most of their activity is portraying what they see we do, right? By giving out food. So they're out there sharing their food. We're giving out needles. So they're coming, they're asking for more so they can give it to their peers. And the containers, they're making sure that their friends are are using the containers, right? And they're just making connections because they, uh, they understand the amount of grief they're all going through. You ask every single one of them and, and they've lost, well, over 140 in the last couple of years. Um, most of the people knew of those 140. So um, that's a lot of a lot of people. So that also is bringing the community together, which makes it harder when people do, do go away, right? Um, pass away. So it's twofold. It, it's um, some people don't want to get close anymore because of the deaths. But I think we're trying to keep each other positive and, you know, those connections like Deborah was able to make our, our that's what that's what it's all about. I really like that when when we went to that church and we were there as B son and um, Hamilton told Brant for audience, you know, you're lucky you have these people, you know, and a group of people that care. I think that's yeah, it's all really great. It's really clear that the peer-to-peer model is so important in actually like creating that sense of community. It's a it's a community amongst people that are all meeting each other where you're at and, and from an equal standpoint instead of service providers who are getting paid to be there 
who maybe have never had a substance issue in their life, treating each person as like a case file, you know, it's a, it's a very different relationship. It's really beautiful. The, the kinds of the stories you guys are sharing about about that community. I want to ask, how do you think that community, that friendship, that, that sense of belonging fit into helping people pursue their own harm reduction goals? I think that they're able to look in their own backyards and see what's in there and know how to, a little bit of encouragement to address it. Because it was older folks in probably their children, grandchildren, you know, going through some rough times right now, but, you know, provide them that love. And I, I, I find it um, really discouraging when, when people are pushed away or family pushes them away. And it's like, whoa, you know, but that's okay. You know, we'll accept them. <laughs> Everybody, I think, needs that aunt or that uncle right? So we could be that aunt or that uncle to talk to. Yeah, I think too is that a lot of us in our full-blown addiction um, never experience unconditional love. And, you know, in fact, it's, it's usually the exact opposite where this tough love um, message is out there, um, where parents are told to push their child away and not to come back until they're, you know, ready for recovery. In the day and age of fentanyl, I have so many parents who reach out to me after their child has passed and said the last thing they ever said to their child was, you can't talk to me until you're ready. And, and they're living with that guilt for the rest of their lives. So it's being able to give our peers that unconditional love, right? And also educate the parents that, you know, you really love your child then you show harm reduction. You ask your child, you, you be with your child. You do it without judgment. You do it with boundaries, have to have boundaries, but you still do it to save their lives, right? If that means you have to use, let your child use in front of you because the other option is they go out in an alley and do it and they're dead, then maybe that's what you have to do, right? And a, a lot of parents are starting to do that. They're realizing that they can't control it. They can't make it stop. Until a lot of us, um, we find recovery through connections. Once we get a connected through some kind of connection with somebody, um, I've had several of them through my lifetime, that's that connection gives me hope. And with that hope, I'm able to see within myself, with that, once I get the hope and recovery, whatever that looks like, whether it's not using or whether it's using... It always goes back. I start feeling better about myself. Once I start feeling better about myself, I start seeing community different. And I start feeling better and, and spreading more of that joy to others as well, right? So it's, it's contagious, right? I stop judging myself and I stop judging others as well. So it, it can snowball, but, uh, you know, what it takes is for a connection, right? And anybody can be that connection. You could be the, the person behind the counter at a store and you just connect with somebody, right? So yeah, I would encourage um, everybody to be that connection. Great. Deborah, did you have something to add? Or? No, good. Okay. Coming to kind of the end of my questions here. Um, the next question I had was just what's next for BSUN? What are you guys excited about? Well, what's next for BSUN is we've evolved, um, not just locally, but provincially. We 
helped create the Ontario network of people who use drugs. Uh, we work with Peel Region, Ottawa, Toronto, and I believe London is with us now. And we got together because we recognize our peers up north have no harm reduction. Basically, um, they're dying and they have no support. Uh, we live in Brantford and the, the amount of support from Brantford to Toronto is huge. We have little. Toronto has everything. So I got to think, well, what about the, you know further north? What about uh, Sudbury or Thunder Bay? They have nothing, right? Um, so we got together, we formed this, became a not-for-profit. Public Health Ontario has joined us as well. University of Toronto is using us because of the onboard uh, research into safe supply. So BSUN seems to be getting more attention uh, provincially and federally than we are locally, right? But hopefully that'll change. Uh, maybe the um, provincial or the municipal government will see that. And uh, the supports we're making from other agencies will help as well, just so that we can save lives. So it's all about making connections and saving lives and being part of the community, right? Instead of being pushed away, right? It's all about community, right? So we want to be part of it. So help us. Yeah, so the 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 next question I was going to have is, you know, how can the community of Brantford uplift your work? But I think that answered that. Maybe I'll end on the question, what can individual people do on a daily basis to support substance users in their community? I would say, um, say hi. Just a simple acknowledgement that they're there. And they might not get high back or whatever, but, you know, they're not invisible and not harmful that I'm aware of. I've never experienced anybody trying to harm me. Yeah, I'd like to add to that. There, there's a population so of substance users. It's probably about 90% of the population of people who use are people that look like myself, Jadine, Deborah, that you wouldn't know, you wouldn't suspect. What the population uh, society sees is people that are not health, people that are um, going through crisis and they lump those as everybody. But those are the people that are in crisis. Those are the ones that need our support the most. But it also, our community 90% needs to get out there and also stop being ashamed, right? Tell the people, this is what a real addiction looks like. It's me coming home from work, having a couple of beers, having a couple of glasses of wine, or having whatever substance you use, right? And another thing I'd, I'd like to touch base is that they always initiate it with the hard drugs, but they don't realize the hardest drugs that's out there right now is the one that's illegal, right? Alcohol causes the most damage to our health system, our families, our communities, our jails, costs mm. the most money than all other drugs put together. And that's legal. I like to call it, you know, we use socially unacceptable drugs, right? That's the only difference, right? The locality. So if we can get past stages of people that smoke pot compared to people that drink alcohol, they all seem to judge each other. Well, everybody, you know, has a glass of wine. So you're a substance user, right? Um, get by that. Let's support our community. Let's advocate for the government to start spending money. Stop blaming the victims for this. And um, 
Yes, like Deborah says, say hi, because we're not as scary. We're not violent as you think. We may be violent towards each other, um, but the, the the thing is that we're loud, we're screaming. That's our mental health issues as well. That's it's not always associated with drug use, right? When you see people going around, you want to call them names like meth head or crack head. Yeah. This is somebody's daughter. This is somebody's child, right? You know, say hi to that person. I bet you'll get a high back, right? Yeah, and they, you could just be that that link to recovery. That's amazing. Well, this was an amazing interview. Thank you so much. I'll send you a link when it's up so you can use it in your work. I'm glad to uplift your work. And thanks for taking the time to uh, talk to us. And a big thank you to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. Thank you very much, Jenny.